Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of First Samuel. Uh, it's about the ninth book, I think, in the Old Testament. It's right after uh, Judges, Joshua and Judges. It's before you get to First and Second uh, Kings. And as you turn there, I'll remind you of kind of where we've been the last uh, couple of weeks. I know occasionally we've got to be in and out, and so it helps to, to track a little bit with the overall message. We saw in, in chapter one a few weeks ago, God sovereignly working out, unfolding his plan for the people uh, right from the beginning of first Samuel. He he brought Samuel into the world by his good pleasure, uh, even in the midst of Hannah's, his mother's uh, sincere, dependent prayers. And, and we see that although she uh, certainly could not have, have understood or grasped at the time the reasons for her difficult struggle with uh, with infertility. We recognize that that without that struggle, Hannah perhaps would not have been able to to make that commitment to have Samuel be brought into the house of of Eli and in that house for him to be trained as as a sort of final judge and first prophet of the people of God. So we see God working out his plan there in chapter one, chapter two. Last week, we saw that the spiritual leadership crisis that the people of Israel are facing with with Eli, who is uh, over things still. His sons are running the the worship of God's people at uh, at their gathering place, sort of the leaders of the church. But Eli's still over things. And we see that he's negligent in his uh, parenting practices. And we, of course, see uh, Hophni and Phinehas, his sons, who are abusing their calling as leaders in the church body and using it to their own advantage instead of leading the people to God. And then very intentionally, we see woven throughout a chapter two, there's these mentions of Samuel and how Samuel's growing in the Lord, how God's at work in his life, how he's drawing closer to the Lord. And there's blessing even coming to his his family as well. So there's a contrast set up there for us in chapter two. And ultimately, at the last couple of verses, so right before before where we're going to pick up and read chapter three today, we see that there's a proclamation about this priest who would come in the future and who would replace uh, Hophni and Phinehas and and, uh, their failure. This priest would come and there certainly was a human priest that would come later that would fulfill some of that. But ultimately, we see that's pointing forward to Christ, to our perfect high priest who would carry out the things of worship perfectly in his life, would not only be the priest, but would be the sacrifice, would offer up himself on our behalf for our failings, for the ways that in many ways we resemble Hophni and Phinehas and Eli and failing to fully honor God even when we worship him and and failing as children to really honor and recognize our parents and as parents failing to really Engage fully with the parenting calling that God's given to us. So that's the lead into our passage today. And as we uh, we turn to this passage, we're going to see right off the bat God's people uh, now with these uh, folks, Hophni and Phineas, kind of cleared out of the way in a place of, of starvation, really, uh, not only for spiritual leadership, but for spiritual revelation. And we'll see how Samuel comes, not as a perfect one, but as one through whom God chooses to bless his people by meeting their their starvation, fulfilling their need for for God's word, for God's truth in particular. So read along with me as I read aloud. uh, First Samuel, chapter three. And starting in verse one. 
Now, the young man, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. That means it's nighttime. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. If he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that is that he knew his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, Eli, that is, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good. To him, And then listen to these last three verses, which are really important. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, so much for providing for us your word and us to live at such a time that we have the fullness of your revealed will and word in the scriptures. Lord, we are mindful uh, that we find ourselves frequently starved of it, uh, lacking its full power and knowledge in our lives. And so we pray, Lord. That you would help us in this hour to uh, see the beauty of how you have chosen to pour out your word 
in our world. And Lord, that we would rejoice in it and seek it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the movie Unbroken tells the powerful story of Louis Zamperini. I won't take a show of hands, but probably most have either read or seen it or at least heard of the story. Zamperini, who uh, progresses from a rather wayward uh, youth into uh, a season of great success athletically during the Olympics in the 1930s. And then with the onset of World War II, ends up serving in the Pacific on a bomber plane, but maintains even at that time his top physical shape and condition. Uh, Before long, like other of the airplanes in that region, his gets shot down. They land at sea. Him and three others from the bomber crew manage to survive and get themselves into a raft. Hours go by. Days go by. Weeks go by. And they become starved. Their rations begin to dwindle. One of them even begins to lose his mind from the sheer struggle of the experience. The once vibrant, muscular, fit Zamperini begins to dwindle into a mere skeleton of a man. And I forget how many days had gone by as they were in this condition. And then all of a sudden, they found their raft floating in the middle of a pool of fish. And with delight, they fashioned some way to hook one of these fish. And when they finally catch one, spending hours trying to hook one, they throw it into the boat and ravenously devour that raw fish with no concern about cooking the meat to satisfy their hunger in the midst of their starvation. Well, there's more to the Zamperini story, of course, but... That part of it reminds us of how we are really spiritually in this life, in this world. In a sense, we're sort of castaways. We're sort of castaways in a world that's not often shaped by the things of God. The scriptures even describe us as aliens, as aliens who are wandering. And although these uh, verses deal largely with Samuel's call... In fact, what's more telling is what's sort of happening behind the scenes. That is the unfolding of God's uh, laying out his word, spreading his word abroad to his people. Uh, Much ink has certainly been spilt over what we might learn about sort of our calling and how to discern our call in life and so forth from these verses about Samuel. And and I'm not going to say that's unimportant, but what's so much more important is what this passage teaches about the power, the importance of God's word and the beauty of it for God's people. So we might put it this way. And if you want to follow along in the sermon notes section at the back of your worship guide, you're certainly invited to the the main idea we can take away from these verses is just this, that since we suffer, since we suffer when starved of God's revelation, we should rejoice that he makes it spread. We suffer when starved of God's revelation. We should rejoice that he makes it spread. Well, the first question for us today is what do we believe 
about God's revealed truth, the scriptures. In particular, do, do we believe that our greatest uh, need, the greatest shortage, you might say, in our lives would be any lack of God's word, God's truth. That that's the greatest thing that we need above all other things. Uh, the scriptures, when we speak of our need for them, we're not just talking about individual syllables and words on the page. We know those are in there. But about the message that it conveys. And we can think about a number of different ways that we can state it that that remind us of how essential it is for our lives. Uh, we, we could summarize it as this, that that we're far more sinful, broken and lost than we might ever realize. And that through faith and repentance, we can be far more deeply loved and cherished in Christ than we could have ever dreamed. We can even get into a bit more detail and talk about specifically what it reveals from beginning to end about the work of Christ that we, we stand in need. We're sinful people. We need one who would pay the price for our uh, sins and that this one, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes and, and through his renewing work, making us new in our hearts, that we can then begin to see and receive what he's done. When we do that, we, we have at least three privileges where we're uh, declared right before. Before God, he sees us as righteous, even though we're not. He uh, recognizes us as his, his adopted children, as part of his family. And he rescues us. He redeems us. He buys us out of slavery and ultimately uh, gives us the opportunity to enjoy a heavenly existence rather than the one in hell that we would deserve otherwise. We might even summarize it uh, this way again more broadly, that from the first page of Genesis all the way to Revelation, we're hearing about God's people in God's place under his plan with his rule and blessing. All of these are ways that we can kind of encapsulate and summarize what's across the scope of the scriptures. These verses today, though, remind us of how beautiful all of it is, how important it is. And so let's take a look first at. What I have labeled a, a revelation recession, and then we'll look uh, later on in our, our time this morning at how a revelation is revealed or spread. And, and in the middle, we'll look at how uh, Eli, or Samuel is called to proclaim God's revelation regardless of what the message is. So look with me first at, at this very first verse of First Samuel 3 and the second half of it, the second sentence of it. Very telling. Not an accident that Samuel starts off this chapter and, and we revealed uh, to us today that, uh, that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision, it says. And this, this, is, this is a sad thing. This is a problem. This is what we might call a revelation uh, recession. They're lacking something that's so important for them. And really, that's what this prophetic call is about. Again, we could study Samuel. We don't have time this morning to, to really pick all of that apart, but we could study his call. But the point of his call, as you saw in the middle of it in verse seven, is Samuel's learning to hear from God. He's learning to know God and to hear from him that's going to prepare him for his task of proclaiming the word. It is interesting to note just poor Eli. We've been rough on him the last couple of weeks and, and rightly so. Uh, as you can see, God wasn't excited about how he handled things. But interesting, isn't it, that even though Eli's off track in many things, he's still able to help Samuel realize, oh, you know what? I, that's not just some weird dream you're having. 
This is God speaking to you. Later on, we see that Eli is even willing to say, you know what? It's a horrible message you just gave me, Samuel, in verse 18. But but I know that this is God's truth. It's God's word. And I I recognize it. So we see this recognition of the need of God's word. I like what uh, one commentator said, uh, Thomas Witherow. He says this, he says, any truth merely human should weigh with us as light as a feather in comparison with the most insignificant truths of God. The faith of a Christian should strive to reach and to grasp everything that God has been honored to place in his word. The design of which is to be a light to our feet as we tread our way through this dark word world. You hear what Witherow saying? He's saying a couple of things. One, he's saying the, the, the slightest piece of information, the, the seemingly least important information right here in God's word is more important than even the greatest truths that man might just come up with. And he's saying more than that as well. He's saying that there's a beauty to this truth and that we ought to understand the whole scope of it. The whole counsel of it. That's part, again, of why we try to work through, whether it's with our children's ministries, in the Sunday school time, in the children's church time, whether it's our adult Sunday school classes, our youth and college groups, uh, wherever we are, our small groups, we're trying to uh, take in the full, whole counsel of God's word, the full scope of it. And we're reminded here that uh, without that, if we just sort of even if we know some of God's word, but we only know little snippets of it. We're probably it's just like having a snack It's like trying to survive on little snacks. You can't really do that. You've got to have a, a meal. And most of us have them three times a day. There's got to be some provision for us. So the question for us today is this. Are we conscious of those places in our life where we lack, where we have a deficit? There's a recession of the word of God. And, and what are we doing to seek to uh, rectify that? Uh, as we think about our spiritual growth, not just individually, but as a church body, is our church family marked by being a people of the word? And that certainly helps for each one of us to be picking up the scriptures on a, on a daily basis or throughout the week to be studying it and engaged in those other opportunities I just mentioned to grow. But uh, in all of that, the goal is that we'd be a people marked by the word who know and receive the word. I thought it was interesting. One of my seminary professors uh, gave, gave all of us seminary guys, and I think it was maybe my second year in seminary. I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but you know, one of those uh, one of those insults that you need. You know, those those uh, pompous, arrogant seminary guys who think we're kind of figuring everything about God out, and and uh, many of us, myself included, really hadn't come up in uh, backgrounds where we heard much of the word of God. So there we are at age. 24 or 27 or whatever, and we don't really know that much, but we're trying to learn some. And and one of the professors challenged us and he said simply this. He said the milkmaids. The milkmaids in the Puritan times uh, knew and had forgotten more of the scriptures than you guys in seminary will probably ever know. The milkmaids. It's convicting when we look at other times and other places to see the way that folks knew and understood the scriptures. You know, these these catechism things we do. I know some like the catechism, some don't. It, some, it seems a little bit stilted, but we're walking through these catechism questions. You know who the shorter catechism is for? 
those long phrases we read during our worship service that's, you know, a little bit cumbersome, the verbiage, they're for children. There's a, there's a longer one. That's the shorter one we're reading. The longer one, a big chunks like this. And it makes you think about, hey, people in other times, their lives were more consumed, more focused on the word of God. And they devoured more of it and brought more of it in. They recognized their need for it more deeply. That starts right up here with, with me, your pastor. I'm, I'm, I'm not engaged with the word of God as much as I should be. Uh, surely that's true of others of us here as well. So where are we on this? Do we recognize in our lives and, of course, in our culture outside the church walls as well, that there's a a great need for the word of God? Second thing we see in these uh, verses is that uh, Samuel is called to reveal God's revelation regardless. How would you like the the first job, the first task that you have that he's got here as this prophet of God is not to be able to go and do the delightful thing of declaring God's mercy and grace and his love abounds to everyone. Or or even just to say an encouraging word, God's with you in your trouble and difficulties. You can take comfort in him. We'd all prefer to be uh, passing along that message. What's the first message he's given to deliver? It's a message of judgment, of God's decision and justice to Eli and Hophni and Phinehas. It's not a fun message. It's a sobering message. It's a it's a sad message. And we see here that even Samuel, you notice he struggled, right? He went to, you know, all this stuff happens at night, wakes up the next morning and it says he's afraid. He's afraid because he does not want to speak out the word of God to Eli just as we struggle to both receive and proclaim the word of God to to those around us and to a culture, especially when it speaks a message of of some confrontation, maybe of some judgment. We know God's word is replete with message of grace and mercy and the redemption that we have in Christ. And that's a beautiful, hopeful message. Well, the the bad news has got to be proclaimed as well. And it really cuts to the root for us of of what we believe about our own condition, about whether we really need to hear from someone outside. I think about it this way. If your uh, computer or tablet or uh, smartphone or whatever device you like to use, just think about it for a minute. If the uh, underlying code, the operating system in that device is working fine, then generally everything else works. The screen's going to come on. The buttons are going to do what they're supposed to. Your apps or programs are going to work the way that they're supposed to. But if something's wrong, something's become corrupted at the center core of that operating system that's supposed to underlie all the programs as a foundation on which those things run, if there's some virus that's gotten into there, then what happens? Sometimes it'll turn on, but it doesn't do what it's supposed to. And you press the button for this app and this one loads or the screen blanks out real quick or your program doesn't run and it's all garbledy gooped on the page. And that's the message that the scriptures give us is just this, that uh, we, we need someone to come with the original disk, the right code to reload what's running underneath in our lives. That's true for us individually. That's true for us collectively as a church body. It's true for us as families. And it's true for our society as well. 
Do we have that picture about the word of God? That it is that essential, that it's really that that uh, program that would help to to reboot our lives spiritually. Uh, this is true as we think about the call to proclaim God's revelation. Regardless, the church proclaims it in those places where we see greed in our society and greed uh, we know is destructive to us ultimately spiritually. It's not some agenda on our part. It's out of concern that we grow closer to God. We speak it in places where we're self-righteous, where we think we've got sufficient righteousness to be good enough for God. And we, we speak to that, not as some agenda, but as a way to, to say, hey, we, we, we want to speak love so that you can come and see your need to be humbled and receive Christ. We speak it in those places where we lie and where we don't quite tell the truth because we know that not Number one, God's dishonored by that, but all human relationships really function on that. And so we call folks from that uh, struggling in that way and we speak it to all the different issues in our society. And we absolutely speak it not as an agenda, but out of love to a culture that's redefining the very definition of what human marriage relationships should be. We speak it clearly and we speak it in love. We speak that uh, in grace and in hope for all of us, wherever we are, to come and to recognize the things that are not glorifying to God are such and that we need Jesus's mercy. We cannot hear that message. We cannot receive that grace if we don't recognize for all of us that somewhere deep down inside the program is corrupted, is broken, is in need of God's grace and his repair and his word. So we speak revelation regardless. As God's people, we see Samuel wrestling with that, but he eventually does speak it. And we see even Eli, who gets a a really bad message for his family, nevertheless is able to say, hey, I recognize this is God's word, his truth. Last thing we see, and it's a, a bit more uplifting and encouraging maybe than these difficult things that that I've just mentioned is really found in the last couple of verses, verses 19 to 21. 19 to 21 gives us this picture of how God is is blessing his people. Again, it's not like they've been on track. It's not like they've earned it. It's not like they've merited it. They've been particularly good folks. God's blessing his people by pouring out for them his word. Look there where it says in verse 19, Samuel grew, the Lord was with him, and did what? Let none of his words fall to the ground. Doesn't that sound like that scripture that reminds us God's word doesn't return void? Reminds us as well of the passages in scripture like Hebrews chapter 4 where it says the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts into our lives, dividing the bone and marrow. Second Timothy 3.16 where it Tells us that all scripture was God breathed and is useful. It's correct for correcting and training the man of God in righteousness. All scripture is meant to be used that way. I like how Martin Luther, the reformer back in the 1500s, said uh, said about it. He said the Bible is alive. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. And he didn't say that in a bad way. He said that this is a beautiful thing that God's chosen to speak in our world and allow and to give us that disc to reload that operating system so we might live 
in a way that's good for us and glorifying to him. I've shared before in the past, it's fascinating the power of God's word to be spread out into our world. I've shared in the past about the Ukrainian pastor that Patience and I met, my wife Patience and I met on our first mission trip. In 1996, over to Ukraine. And this man had a, what was at that time, a prolific ministry on the radio of sharing God's word. And he had been a pastor in a local church as well. And just remarkable to see how the Lord was using this guy. And we got to talk to him about how he came to faith in Christ. How he come to that place to where he cherished God's word and proclaimed it. And he explained to us that he had been drafted. This was during uh, this was in the 80s that he had come to faith in Christ during the time of the Afghan uh, war. The Soviets fighting over there in Afghanistan. And um, and he had he had been drafted into the military. He was a helicopter uh, on a helicopter crew and he had to go to special training. And at the special training that they did for him in this communist government system of at that time, the Soviet Union, they, they sought to indoctrinate folks in the military further into the godless communist mindset. And they, they assigned for them to read uh, materials that was uh, debunking, seeking to debunk religion. And in the midst of that booklet, that book, there were verses of Scripture stated. And the purpose of the verses of Scripture being in there were so that the book could point out the absurdity of them or mock them or make fun of them. Guess what happened to that pastor as he read those little bit of verses here and there throughout that manual that he was required to read by a communist indoctrination process? He came to faith in Christ. He came to receive Christ. I've mentioned before, I'm sure the uh, the pastor that uh, serves in what what is today, well, today, a modern day city that was once the city of Ephesus, you know, in that area of uh, of Turkey there today. And uh, in in a Muslim uh, culture, he's uh, it's a sort of certainly a secular Muslim culture there in in Turkey. But he's, he's serving there today. And I heard him share it at one presentation about, again, how how he had come to faith in Christ. He said when he was growing up. God's word came to, into his life in this way. He was watching. They had on satellite TV in his household a few American channels. And there was a show on TV called The Little House on the Prairie. And there was a little girl in that show, Laura, who would sometimes pray with her family. And the father would sometimes lead in prayer. And they'd sometimes go to church. And even though to us we would look at the spiritual content of that show as, as pretty innocuous, not very, not very thick for, for this man, that's how he came to faith in Christ. God's blessing in our world to spread his word any time, any way that it is spread abroad and touches our lives, it can have great power for us. And I love... With that in mind, this uh, shorter catechism question to bring it home to us and help us to think about all of this. That shorter catechism question, it's number 90. So, you know, we're working through one each week in our worship service and in those uh, devotional booklets that many of us are doing with our families. And and so 90 is going to be a a number of months away. So I'll go ahead and and tip tip our hand and tell you what it is. It, It asks this question. It says, how should the word, the word of God, be read and heard that it be effective for salvation. Okay, see, it's, it's interesting. The question is not we, we could all probably chime in variety, variety of ways that the preacher could do the best job possible of sharing the word so that it would be effective. But that's not what this question asks. 
That, that's a good question, too. But that's not what this question asks. It asks, how should we re- receive? How should the word be read and heard by us so that it be effective for our salvation, so that it impact us, strengthen us? And the answer is interesting. You know, those those folks that wrote some things a while ago, they're not always on target. They were off target on some things, but a lot of things they were right on target. And they say this. They say we should attend to it with diligence, preparation and prayer. So pay attention to the word of God. Be prayerful with it and be uh, determined to, to take something from it. And then I love the way it states. I don't know. Maybe it just gels with me. But and I don't know. You guys join with me. We don't usually do stuff like this. Put your hands out in front of you. All right. We do this. Our little first priority group. Those kids in first priority, they get a lot out of it. It says we should receive it with faith. You know, when you get something, somebody puts something in your hands, you receive it. It says we should lay it up in our hearts. You can do this too. Lay it up in our hearts and then practice it in our lives. Right? That was pretty radical there for our church there. So receive it with faith, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. That's the way the Word of God works. So I hope today that we have seen the beauty of recognizing, the importance of recognizing that, um, that we need God's Word. We, we each need it individually, desperately in our lives. There's rarely a time where we say we've got an overabundance of it, right? We need it in our church body. That's why we do this each week. We spend this time because it's important. It's vital. And, and then I hope we see that, that even in those challenging places where the Word of God challenges things in our lives or in our culture, we're, we're just meant to proclaim it, to, to say what it says, and, and to do that regardless And then ultimately, it's a beautiful and blessed thing that God chooses to release his revelation into the world to provide it for us. The people of God were blessed in Samuel's day. We're blessed even greater in our day. And uh, one commentator sums it up, and I'll conclude with this. He says this about uh, just drawing all the pieces together. I hope this will make sense. He says this. Therefore, although this, 1 Samuel 3 is the account of Samuel's initial experience of Yahweh and the origin of his prophetic ministry. It must be seen in terms of Yahweh's initiative and activity for his people. Yahweh is revealed as opposing religious authority, even that acting in his own name, which because of its corruption prevents people from expressing their relationship to him. Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, we get that. On the other hand, it emphasizes Yahweh's commitment to the creation of a leadership structure that's faithful to him, leadership validated by a real relationship with him that announces his word. Yahweh brings transformation for his people, transformation in the revealing of his word. So we move from scarcity to abundance and through this transformation in the provision of leadership that points back to him by faithfully proclaiming. His word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the great gift of salvation that we have through Christ. We thank you, Lord, that the things that we believe are not things that we come up with. They're not ideas that are simply human ideas, but they are truth revealed from you. Many of the things in your word are attested. Uh, by those who came after, are substantiated, even in our own world, by the evidence of archaeology and by other means. And so we thank you, Lord, that we hold in our hands uh, a sure and solid foundation for all that we need to know for our faith and for our practice 
We ask, Lord, that you would help us. There are places in uh, my life where I am so uh, sluggish about really seeking you through your word and opening it up and uh, reading it. There's places where we maybe some of us need help just to get started with understanding your word individually. And then, Lord, there's uh, so many things that distract us from uh, good places like small groups and Sunday school and worship time where we can really be hearing and receiving your word. So we pray, Lord, that you'd allow us to see what a blessing it is to have it in such abundance. And Lord, that it would transform our lives in Jesus name. Amen.